Welcome everyone to the First Main Basis podcast. This is our remote edition that we've been doing since this pandemic started. Um, here's where we chat with our industry leaders, tribal skill employees, and guests about relevant tech and innovation topics. We try to keep things really real here. And today I have the opportunity to speak with somebody who I really admire, who's been working in financial services for a long time. And welcome to the show. Peggy Vanderplash. And am I saying right. correctly? Vanderplash. Yeah, that's great. You know, I Vanderplash. Next test is uh, spelling it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can cheat right now. I have it in front of me. <laughs> uh, Peggy, um, I wanted to. I wanted the viewers and and our listeners to to get to know you a little bit better and about your past. And you've been working and doing a lot of cool things in financial services. So walk us a little bit about what you've done in the past and what and, and, and what you're doing now, especially with your new venture. Uh, well, thank you so much first for having me. That's that's great. And um, well, I'm sure everyone can hear to uh, my friends originally. So uh, my background is in finance. I studied in France in finance. Just worked a few years there and then came to uh, Canada. I moved to Montreal like every good francophone <laughs> and um, I actually spent many years at CGI. Yeah. So CGI is a great uh, IT consulting company and but I was working on their software group so it might not always be well known. CGI actually has a lot, a lot of software and yeah. um, and what I was doing for these guys was to allocate capital to this different software that we always need to improve. And obviously there is never enough capital to do that. So uh, I had an interesting task of uh, managing the money, which depending on the results was making me popular. Got more done with less. Exactly, but also, you know, like I can tell you, some people like me very much, some people didn't like me very much, you know, so, but it was exactly that, you know, it's interesting you say that when I was there, uh, the CEO was my coach, and he, he, he just took over from Serge Dam, the, the founder, Serge is an amazing, amazing guy. Mike is really the machine, you know, right. and uh, he, so Serge's mentality is very much CGI is a consulting company. Well, uh, Mike was, okay, I want to increase my uh, share price. So I want to be a software company. Right. So uh, that's why I came on board to really, uh, with a small capital allocation, really, really increase the reach of their software. And, you know, like the, the share price of, uh, of CGI, and I'm not saying due to me, but when uh, my coach came, really, really came, came. So it was a very interesting time for me. I was very junior. I joined the organization as an analyst. Okay. So really at the bottom of the food chain, all my coworkers were VP, which at the time for me was just like, oh my God, what does that Wow, say? yeah. And uh, so every month I was at the investment committee with the CEO, the CFO, and I can tell you like that was that was something uh, that was that was quite stressful for me. So especially my English sucked at the time. <laughs> that was really like a tough one. So I did that for six years. It's so really, that's really interesting. I mean, you yeah. being a young a young woman coming into an organization predominantly male. Um, and then being in an uncomfortable position because it's, you know, you're getting exposed to all these very senior people and you took that task on. 
and, uh, and not an easy task, you know, like you said, you're, you're disliked by many and then liked by few or, and, and, and taking that on. So what advice do you have for, for young women who like to, to go into that situation? I mean, times are different, a little different now, but they're not much more different from when you, when you were going through this. So I like that you asked me that question because it's an advice I'll give not just to young women, but uh, to all women, young and not so young. You know, just say yes. You know, when something come up, just say yes. So I have a, a, a little anecdote that has been annoying me lately. And, and, and you know, Shital, I've been in the gender diversity, diversity inclusion world for like 15 years. I'm very passionate about that. So that's, that's one of my topics. And because I'm a woman, I can say stuff on women, you know, like there is mm -hmm. always this idea that if you're a man, it's more difficult. So anyway, I started doing video interviews on the new normal in financial services, you know. Right. Most men say yes, as soon as I ask them uh, if they want to be interviewed, ask no question. I even have guys who contact me to volunteer, you know. Right. Women, most of the time, they ask me, well, I don't know, what are the questions? Do you think what I'm going to say is going to be relevant enough? I'm not sure. I would say probably the rate is 50% of the women I reach out directly tell me no. Wow. Yeah. And the ones who say yes, it's a fucking back and forth of email. <laughs> Uh, you know, why, so, why is that? You think, you think it's because the, we, we have to instill more confidence and assertiveness in women to, to actually be leaders of their own domain? I think it's perfectionism. Okay. I think it's the idea that, you know, you really want to be massively relevant and, you know, have insights of Warren Buffett, you know? So it's, it's putting the bar so high that you can never reach it. Right, right. So it's, 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 and I can see why, you know, like, because that's all girls are raised, da, 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 da. So it's not women who get up in the morning thinking, I don't want to be, uh, mm -hmm. to, to raise my hands. Um, but I, I, that was eye opening for me. You know, yeah, like, absolutely. You know, and then you got all these guys who may not even know anything, but they just want to come and talk to you. <laughs> a, I, I had a very senior woman telling me I don't think I have anything to say and I have super junior guys reaching out to me and you're looking at you like oh my god what's what's going on this is a good point we're talking a little bit about your past but currently you do have a series that you're doing and I've seen it on LinkedIn it's very it's done very well talk a little bit about it well, you know, since the pandemic, I was curious to see, okay, where do we think financial services is going to go in the new normal? So I had my, obviously, my own opinions in the space. And then I realized that depending on who I was speaking with, I could have very different perspective if a gentleman or a lady was in fintech, mm -hmm. uh, was a banker, an insurer, an investor, an academic, but mm -hmm. also if it was in North America, in Africa, in Europe, right. but also between gender. So I was very curious to show a bit of a cross-section yeah. and, and without giving my own opinion, putting that in front of the people and then, you know, people can make their own decision. Uh, I also right. show my own opinion, but I, I'm, not, I'm not challenging people on what they're saying. I'm asking questions and they're explaining. So it's, it's, it's very interesting to see, for example, 
the people who think are for sure incumbents is going to be the one winning in the financial service right. sure if you're a banker that's what you think if you're in a fintech you think it's a fintech you know <laughs> <laughs> Everyone is drinking his own Kool-Aid, you know. Right, so, right. Uh, but that's yeah. it. It's, it will, and, and we're gonna we're gonna get to that because I, I, you know, we, I've been doing the same. I've been having some financial services chats here on the podcast. But more importantly, when behind the curtain, right, like behind the podcast, as I, as I speak to different financial services, depending on who the company we're speaking to, the opinion is very different. They absolutely are all drinking their own Kool-Aid. But there's yeah. going to be an intersection there, and we'll we'll get to that. So let's talk. Okay. So then you so then you decided to leave CGI. What did you do? So I left CGI. I thought it was an amazing organization, great mentor. I progressed quite quickly. But then I reached a bit of a, not a glass ceiling because I was a woman, but a glass ceiling because I was in finance in a tech company, and. So so it's the same thing when we say, well, if you're in a bank, you cannot have great tech people. Well, if you are right. in a tech company, there are not a lot of opportunities for growth for finance people. Right. So right. I, I moved to, B, to, uh, to Toronto and to BMO, Bank of Montreal. Okay. Because my thought was, well, as a finance person going back to a financial service organization, I'll have more opportunities to grow. So I joined BMO and I was also helping them with their capital allocation to technology, uh, which was at the time it was before all the talk of digital transformation, the budget was already more than a billion a year. So still a lot of money. And you could see the weight of the legacy system already crowding out all the money. So very little, one billion seems like a lot of a lot of dough, you know, yeah, <laughs> and yeah. actually very little of that billion can, at the time, was allocated to growing the band. It, it was, was just all maintenance. Maintain the band. Just maintain, yeah. yeah. So that was interesting. And it was the time where you could, you start reading about lending clubs over, you know, the new wave of fintech. I was like, oh, that's where I need to go. That's where, you know, the world is moving. And the universe heard me and uh, put me in touch with a very wealthy tech entrepreneur who wanted to start fintech companies. So I, I joined him. I started a couple of fintech companies for him while also managing his family office. Uh, it was absolutely insane. Uh, I won't get into details. People who worked in family office know what I'm talking about, but it was interesting okay and uh, so i did that for two years and uh and he decided to go back to europe where he was from so we folded everything which was time because i was just going absolutely bananas and uh but it put me very early on the fintech trend in canada mm -hmm. and uh and you know not a lot of women uh, not a lot of people who worked in bank, worked in technology, but also were an entrepreneur. So I started advising uh, organizations on digital banking, fintech, and all that great stuff. Right. So I went back to BMO, uh, advised uh, Omer's VC at the time, John Ruffalo and John McKinley, who you know well, yeah. uh, were working on their uh, digital banking uh, strategy, which led to the investments in uh, purpose investments of Tucson. Uh, yeah. So that was very cool. And then a great I success came... story too, like Purpose and Psalm have done. Oh, yeah. What a fabulous job. But you know, Psalm is the type of guy that you would bet on him 
for anything. And you know, it's it's very interesting because Sam and I were not we're, we're not close by any stretch of our, of imagination. But we do know each other. We spoke we spoke several times over the years. And actually, he told me the thing that has been the most influential in my life and my career. You know, sometimes it's not the person who's talking to you every day. Sometimes right. it's someone else. I remember we were at the Ritz, and uh, and he was telling me, uh, you know, me, I always bet on myself. And you know what? I was just like, how does it come that I don't bet on myself? And I'm always, you know, like someone's great second, right. but I'm never my first choice, you know? Right. That really um, changed the way I looked at things in terms of uh, my own career. So I, I kept that in the back of my mind. I did a, a short stint at CIBC. As uh, CIBC was opening their uh, innovation groups, I was mm -hmm. I went there to put it in place and all that, which was great. I had a lot of fun there. And then I went to my own device, went back to advisory, worked with Portage and Power Corp um, on obviously fintech as always. Right, and, right. Uh, and since then, I've been doing a mix of investing and advising. But very, very much. I mean, like 99.99 .99 of what I do is always in fintech. I mean, that's, that's what I know, digital banking right. thing. That's, that's what I understand. That's what I'm good at. So sorry, it was a long explanation. No, no, no. It's a very... It's, it's <laughs> well, I'm only it's 43. Very, I'm not 83, you know? <laughs> <laughs> it's very, very interesting. And it, it's good to get, like, the context. Because you have... The reason I asked you to come on the show is you have a very cool cross between knowing how the actual large, you know, in Canada, the big five banks work, and then also having the experience of being able to work with the fintechs, not only in an investment capacity, in an advisory capacity. And, you know, as we, and even tribal skill, we go out there and we talk a lot about digital transformation. And how do you take a company that is spending a billion dollars on its old legacy to really start adapting to new ways of working and new and, and, and new technology. So, what are why is it why are big banks so slow slow to move? What are you what are you finding that is causing them to become so slow to adapt to change? When you know you look at a startup, they they jump up and go, "That makes sense," and they get it implemented. Yeah, I, I think it's two things. It's structurally, you know, like I was speaking last week with a chief innovation officer of Société Générale. Mm -hmm. And they have 150,000 employees. Mm -hmm. Try to move 150,000 yeah. employees. And, and I mean, CIBC was 44,000, which is already like a massive number. So, so there is the scale, there is the fact that it's highly regulated. And, and the third thing, obviously, that's the culture, the fact that you will never be rewarded in a bank for taking a risk. And the people who usually go work in a bank is not the most risk-prone people either, you know? Right. So, so you have this self-fulfilling prophecy of people who don't like risk, who are highly regulated, and who on top of that face legacy infrastructure. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's the perfect storm not to move. It is. It is. It's a. It's. It's a perfect storm. I. I find it's the. It's the people, willingness. The will to change is very low, right? Like that's probably the biggest barrier I see more and more often. Is, I. I'm not in this position, and I'm not compensated to rock the boat. I am in this position to, keep things steady and hopefully grow a little bit. But that's all I need to do. And I'm. If I rock the boat and fail. 
I probably will be out of a job, so I'm not going to go do that. Right? The incentives are just aligned the wrong way. Exactly. And, you know, what, what I've seen, so when I was at BMO, I worked for a wonderful woman, Joanna Rottenberg. Joanna is the head of wealth management at BMO. She's still the head of wealth management. At the time, she was head of strategy when I was, uh, I was uh, more junior there. And what I admire very much with Joanna is that she might have been at BMO for 10 years now, but mm -hmm. she never lost that capacity to change. Right. Even even if uh, the pace was slow. So, you know, like some people like you and I were probably a bit more impatient. Which <laughs> Absolutely. Is, which is why we don't necessarily fit very well in large organizations <laughs> because we do everything as a sprint, you know? Yeah. Uh, and then you have people like Joanna who run a marathon. And if you look after 10 years, she made tons, tons of transformation. But... It well, one small piece at a time. She did one small piece exactly. at a time, right? Exactly. So she took every step towards it. Exactly. So that's people like that in large organizations because you need to understand the mechanics, what you can change, what you cannot change, that person who's actually friend with that person. So if you move it, suddenly the situation gets explosive. So right. there is a lot of politics as well that you need to be comfortable with. I mean, it's, it's funny because you see, you, we go into these meetings, um, especially in these larger organizations, and there'll be 20, 25 people who are key project stakeholders. I mean, we never, you and I never run a project with so many key project stakeholders. But when you start getting into a, a larger enterprise, there are, and, and, and it's, in, in all fairness to them, they, they do have their concerns over what is going to be implemented because it is going to, in some way make an impact on their day-to-day -day ways of getting things done right so they just want to make their make sure their bases are covered well you know that's that's also linked to that procurement process that mm -hmm. procurement process have 10 groups that are right. stakeholders you know and you go from obviously the it in our case but you have legal you have risk you have compliance you have Security. business <laughs> finance cyber all of that yeah. So when I was at CIBC, one of the first things I, I, I did when I joined uh, the, the innovation group it was, okay, guys, let's simplify the procurement process. Because mm -hmm. if we want to work with startup, you cannot go through 12 months of jumping through oops, that doesn't yeah. work. And it's not necessary for doing a small proof of concept you know, on top of that. It was excruciating because everything seemed you know, it's it's like the non-essential businesses during the pandemic. Well, for them, everything is essential. You right, know, like right. nothing. So basically, the idea was, well, instead of doing the process in 12 months, we can do it in 11. And I'm like, well, that doesn't really happen. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's tough because imagine you're the guy or the gal who's in charge of legal, whatever, mm -hmm. compliance, risk, security, whatever. Will you take the risk to say my process is first not necessarily uh, so so that means what okay so you're not important if you don't need to give so there is the personal agenda and then there is the cover my ass uh, type of thing where oh you said that finally we didn't do that and if something go wrong you didn't do it mm -hmm. so there is no incentive little yeah. incentive for that. So how, how have successful people ran the marathon, as you put it? Like, what, yeah. how are they, what, what are some of the things that they are doing right? 
Yeah, I think, you know, the, the, the big, I, I thought about that recently, why didn't I enjoy necessarily some experiences I've had in, mm -hmm. in large organizations is that I come and I have like the end goal, which is like this. And people are like, oh my God, what, what is she talking about? That's freaking me out. You need to do the other way around. So we were together at Michelle Obama, uh, you know, yeah. Uh, yeah. you remember yeah. that, obviously. I really liked the way she framed it. So when she became um, first lady, she started a little garden and she said, well, no one's going to attack her for uh, starting a little garden. Then she started um, um, promoting it healthy. Mm -hmm. When she started uh, having kids coming and uh, on the lawn of the White House doing little right. exercise, and then she started promoting moving, eating healthy, and then she started looking at uh, the agroalimentary uh, companies that were not right. feeding people. Pro if she had started with that end agenda of attacking uh, large agro agricultural uh, companies, that wouldn't have worked. Right. But she, she did these different steps. That's what you need to do in a large organization. You and I were going for the jugular right away, not the right approach. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. You drop the breadcrumbs back. What it's gonna, or like, what's going to be the right ladder that you're going to climb and how are you going to bring people along gradually to make that happen? But it's also an ego thing, you know? Like, you mm -hmm. really need one of Especially in financial services, I got to say. There is something about... God, I'll say it. I mean, there's something about guys who wear these power suits who think their suit makes them smart, and they come in with this ego that is just—it's very blatant in the in the in the financial services world. And you know, the, the, the unfortunate thing is that it creates that culture of fear and mm -hmm. anger, mm -hmm. and it doesn't give necessarily the right image for a younger generation because you have younger generation coming and they're looking at the people at the top of the food chain and like, oh wow, that need that means I need to act like act this that way, yeah. to be able to move up the food chain. So whether you have people who like me believe because they're like, okay, that's mm -hmm. not the game I want to play. Mm -hmm. Or you transform. Right, right. Say, some people are able to, Joanna is a great example. She kept her integrity. Right. So Joanna Rottenberg at BMO, uh, Laura Dottori at CIBC, Christina Kramer at CIBC. These are great women who were, uh, great people, I shouldn't say women, great individuals who have been able to keep their integrity mm -hmm. while moving the ball forward. Right. And that's, one, that's one thing I love whenever I chat with you. We talk about powerful women and you talk about, but then you remove it and you go, no, let's talk about their actual traits. Like, let's not do it because of the fact that they're women. They actually have huge merit that they've been able to bring to the table. Exactly. And, you know, and, and then we got to look at what they're doing there to make that, that opportunity shine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and you know, they're bringing, they're bringing people with them, women, non-women, you know, like it's, they're obviously usually very good at having like 50-50 in their group, which is great. Um, but it's not about, to your point, it's not about necessarily gender, race or whatever. It's, it's about what are the attributes mm -hmm. of what, what we want to see, you know? And it happens that these three leaders that I really respect are all women. Right, right. That's, that's, so we're in, a, we're, we're, in a, we're in a time right now where 
race relations are really being looked at under a microscope and rightfully so. Um, and, you know, workplaces are taking a look and evaluating themselves saying, hey, have we created the right diversity or inclusion atmosphere? What are some of the, and you speak on this topic and you've been speaking on this topic for a long time. What are some of the things that you want either founders or people who have some sort of power, if you're an executive at a bank, um, to know and what should they be doing to make things right? Yeah. Well, what have been shown in studies to have the most impact when you want to bring diversity in your organization is at the hiring stage. Mm -hmm. And it's basically making sure that you're slating as many candidates of gender, race as, as you can. So mm -hmm. it's always this idea that if you select 10 candidates and you have and I don't like to use white guy, you know, my husband is a white guy, you know, like, sure. you were, I was born a white woman in France. I didn't decide anything, I, right, I could, right. you know, good or bad. It's chance, chance of, uh, mm. or my chance, depending on who you look at it, you know. So, but when you look at nine profiles that are extremely similar, and maybe one that is, you know, just the token, whatever, to say that we did it, it's not working. Right. You need five and five, you need, you know, like so. But again, I was speaking with a, a, a very lovely lady who was, um, was a senior person at the pension fund. She's, uh, she's the chief uh, technology officer over there. And she was telling me, oh, it has been so hard to hire a woman in my organization. I barely receive any resume. I, and so, so I hear this all the time. I hear this all the time, uh, you know. I was having a conversation and someone was like, well, I'd love to hire more black people, but I don't get the candidates. And so I'd love to hear your answer to this because I got an opinion on it also, but I'd love to hear yours. Well, I think you need to work on that the same way, you know, like I was complaining about my little video interviews that, well, I don't get, guess what do I do? Did I say, well, too bad, we're not going to have any women. No. I just contact more women. Right, right. <laughs> it, takes, it takes me more time, but you need to put your money, your resources, your energy, your time, whatever you want, where your mouth is. Mm -hmm. So if I really, really want to have more diversity, and not just gender, actually, I'm, I'm, I really want to have a good cross-section, not just men, female. Uh, well, you need to make extra efforts. It's, it's the price to pay. Yeah, I do you know one of the things that I took away from the conversation. It was great because we had a very transparent and open conversation, this founder and I, and I said, you know, one of the things that you're not looking at is the opportunities that that person of color may have not received. And so if you're saying, hey, you know what, I only got the one applicant, the fact that that applicant even got in front of you means they probably went through way more hurdles to get there. Yeah, exactly. And if you're looking for someone who's gonna be smart and hungry to, to work with, then it's maybe not just to set it and forget it. I'm hiring this person. Maybe if you, if you actually want to be changed, then why don't you actually say, hey, I'm going to not only hire this person, but now I'm going to devote some of my time to mentor yeah. this person, right? Like, and, and, start get, and, and start leveling the, play, the playing field. And, 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 that, and that happens. That's, that's, the, that's the way you could do it, right? So the, the trifecta, you're going to do it with your money. So you obviously have a job. You're going to do it with your time and your allocation that you have and then within your own organization you're going to be able to give the opportunities for everybody to actually learn and grow and i think that creates a really good culture if you position it with those three 
the case with Deloitte. And, and you know, so it's, it's two things. So uh, the first thing is this idea of, I, I worked in the private equity space, this space for, for, for many years, and I was looking at some, I'm not going to name the companies, but some of these like extremely reputable investment firms in the US. And there is one I'm looking, I'm not joking, pages of pictures of white guy. Right. Not one woman, not one guy of color, even less woman of color. You know, that, right. that's not even a concept I think they can imagine. Do you think I want to work with these guys? Right. Do you think I look at that and I'm like, oh, great, they're on top of my list to, to, to work mm -hmm. with them? Of course not. So, so there is also this idea, and you look at the resume, they all did the Ivy League school, they all have exactly the same profile. And to your point, if, if they're looking at resumes and they're like, well, I absolutely want someone with an Ivy League profile and this, 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 well, that's unfortunate. They're all white privileged guys. Well, yeah, right. of course. Guess right. what? Parents couldn't pay for an Ivy League school, you know? Right. know. So, so there is this idea. Well, I'm taking the best candidate. The best candidate who was born with the best option. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. So it's just, it's just ridiculous. So, you know, I, I, as I said, I was born in France. So my, my mother was a, you know, small mother. She really struggled. We were, we, I was raised in sponsored housing, you know. So mm -hmm. I went to school because I had scholarship. I took clones. Uh, and I had health issue when I was 15. I was diagnosed with a, with a brain, uh, brain tumor. But you know what? In France, education and healthcare is free. Right. I wouldn't be sitting here speaking to you had I been born in the U.S. Right, right. You so, got you you got some assistance to help you with your hard work and all the trials and tribulations and the situation you, that's out of your control. Exactly. You got you got to play it on a more of a level playing field because of those. Exactly, things. and that's the thing we need to we need to put in place as long as you have business schools or you know any type of school i'm saying business schools but any type of schools that cost an arm and a leg mm -hmm. and where not everyone can access you're always gonna have these challenges same thing with for healthcare once you have great health great education which might be very difficult when you're coming from a poor background but at least you can try to grab right to grab that and you know like uh, right. But if you don't even have that, what's, what's your option? Yeah, what you know, I 100% agree. You don't have an option then. And then your options become limited. And that creates a circle of poverty and a cycle of, of, of creating a low-income-based community where you don't even get mentorship opportunities or don't even have a conversation with anyone to know there's a better way out of, of the situations that you're in. Which you don't even know exist or think so out of reach but you you don't you don't access so you know i think there is a lot a lot of things to be done as a start it's it's i i love the idea of making sure we have more diversity in a workplace and all that but it starts it's it starts at day one it starts yeah. in utero right right and then, you know i love it I, i'm gonna go i'm gonna call this our marathon podcast because it goes back to what we were talking about before this has to be a marathon it has to be little steps that are going to be taken so that us as a society now have leveled the playing field for 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 everyone in it 
And I still, I still agree with, hey, it should be based on merit. I mean, obviously, you want to hire somebody who's going to be smart, hungry, has experience, all the things that we look for that are our ideal checkboxes to help mm-hmm. our organizations grow and be better. But it, I, you're absolutely right. It has to start way earlier as well for it to come, come across. All right, before yeah. we go jump into more financial services talk, uh, I, uh, I've been doing this thing recently where I want to get to know, I want everybody to get to know our guests a lot better. So, you know, one word, one sentence answers, something really quick. I'm going to fire okay. questions off at you um, and, let's, and let's get to know you better. Um, who would you consider your hero and why? Uh, okay, I'll, I'll stick with Michelle Obama. I'm very, very impressed with uh, the, the way she's extremely thoughtful. Again, back to my little garden approach. It's very different on how I think, so very impressed by that. Cool. Um, I've been asking everyone this. If, uh, if you're able to travel safely again, where's the first place you want to go? I'll go see my mother in France. Okay. How's she doing, by the way? She's doing great, you know, like she's, uh, she's doing amazing. <laughs> she figured out Zoom and everything? She's, she's chatting with you? Oh, yeah, well, no, she has no issue. She's probably more savvy than I am, you know, like, as, <laughs> she's, she's, she's a social butterfly, so. <laughs> I love it. Peggy, do you have a nickname? Peggy. No nickname, though? Well, Your mother Peg- just calls you Peggy? She doesn't call you anything else? Well, in France, my, my nickname is Super Peg. <laughs> She's very cheesy, and I think I'm the one who actually nicknamed me, me nicknamed myself Super Peg, which is absolutely terrible. I was a teenager, so I'll, I'll take an excuse. <laughs> uh, okay, besides the Ritz, because you and I spend a lot of time at the Ritz and have our amazing conversations on our beautiful patio, which we call our backyard, that we are completely missing. But I want to promote small businesses. Um, as Toronto is opening back up, where do you want to go and eat? Well, I just moved, so uh, I'm looking forward to go to uh, Terroni on Summer Hill. Okay. Uh, and to Sash. I love Sash as well. So, I, love uh, it. I actually did Terroni takeout the other day. It was fun. Oh, yeah. It was that's still fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that's awesome. Okay. Let's get, let, let's talk, let's talk a little bit more about financial services. So, Peggy. You've been working with some with more startups right now. What are you looking for right now in financial services? Where do you feel the disruption areas are? Um, you know, what are well, what what are you seeing that's becoming innovative that you think is going to become the next next wave of innovation that's going to come to the financial services sector? Well, what I really like is cybersecurity because I think. Uh, we absolutely need more cybersecurity in financial services. I, I don't think we're um, actually at the right level of security in financial institutions mm-hmm. across the world. So that's an area, you know, I always look at where I would invest, you know. So yes, cyber, cyber is, is a good place for me uh, to invest. Second, anything that um, helps, I'm more of a B2B type of person, so anything that helps uh, financial services transform. So not so much new product and services unless they're very niche. Uh, I really like everything that is able to automate processes, make things digital uh, instead of going through 200 paper and, uh, you know, like uh, pen and paper. So that type of thing. I, I'm not a very sexy type of person when it comes to financial <laughs> services. I, I like the basic. I do believe that, you know, fintech for me is all to 
make incumbents better. I'm not very supportive of B2C. I think in Canada it's very hard because it's a small market. You have an oligopoly, you know, like it's very hard to survive in B2C in Canada. Right. So when, you, when you're talking about cybersecurity, what are some of the things that you're seeing that are, are, are becoming more prominent? Like some of the things I've seen is, you know, cybersecurity and leveraging AI to detect threats um, and then be able to come up with some sort of resolutions for those threats. What are some of the things you're seeing that are more innovative when it comes to cybersecurity? Well, like you, like you mentioned, I see, I see a lot of things like that. It's not necessarily the innovative aspect that I believe is interesting is the fact that people seem to be waking up to the fact that we need uh, way more security. So let's think about the situation, the pandemic, you know, like unfolded. So now your traders for whatever, CIBC, BIM or whatever, you're trading from your living room or your kitchen. Uh, you are approving loans from uh, your bedroom. Uh, you are a client. You are uh, also on the go. So all of that are points of vulnerabilities. Right. Even like if you think a call center, because call center. I mean, call center. You can't have a call center of three hundred people sitting beside each other anymore. So, so you have tremendous vulnerability in the system. And now if you're saying that the bank's gonna have to work with even more startup to be able to allow for product and services to really be digital, digitally enabled and not develop everything internally. Well, this is additional you know, points of vulnerability. So it's, uh, it's interesting to see that cyber, and I was chatting with someone who's selling uh, cyber products and services to both the US and Canada. And I see the challenge I see is that usually your CISO, they're not the most um, outgoing uh, people and they're not the one who are gonna say, I need 10 million to make my project happen. So they've always been very underfunded. Mm -hmm. And he was telling me that he worked with a lot of CISO in the US, but in the US, a lot of these guys are coming from the army. Yes. And I can tell you, yeah, that's a different profile. And you were saying me, you don't have this idea of a guy, you know, like uh, not asking for a money. Guy, guy, yeah. It's a very different perspective as well, depending on the background. Of, I've been, of I've been see, and you know, I started noticing that in Europe a lot, where I started noticing like army um, coming into the cyber security space and being very buttoned down and very serious about it, as opposed to what their counterparts in North America were doing. And you're seeing that shift happen here now. Because oh, yeah. uh, that, that was common for you in Europe even, I'm sure, right? Like with, while, while you were there. Uh, yeah. Well, you know, Europe is an interesting beast because it's so many different countries. Mm -hmm. So we call it Europe, but you know, like the UK is not doing the same thing than the French, than the German or the Spaniards. So mm -hmm. that's also that lack. To be honest with you, I'm quite concerned about the global you know, financial order because some rogue nations can quite easily attack our financial institutions and, you know, obviously create way more damage than what the pandemic did. And uh, the lack of coordinations between countries, between, okay, let's take Canada. I'm not even talking between countries, but 
even within our own financial system is very low. Right. So people right. are telling me, well, no, we have this repository where people share the threads they've seen. I'm like, well, that's step one. And that's also, <laughs> and that's also, and that's also past. Exactly. A coordinated effort. Hey, I'm seeing an attack. We have five major banks here. If all five major banks are seeing an attack at the same time, I'm hoping that they know about it. <laughs> they know that it's happening to each other. Exactly. So, so what about having some, uh, you know, industry utility? Right. So, so you have some industry utility for processing check, but you don't have something for cyber, you know? Like, right. That's the type of thing that I think should really, really, really be um, put forward. You know, open banking is very important. Mm -hmm. uh, cyber security for my perspective is more important. So I've been having a lot of conversations um, with, with, with large banks and they say, hey, she thought, you know, the willingness to change and the speed of how we need to get things done, we've done more in the past three months than we've done in the past five years, right? Or, you know, and there's some, something along those lines that they, that they all are saying the same thing. Um, and that's mainly because of like, hey, the government programs that have come in, you have to start implementing for, for, for them right away. How could you do this in a remote way? What, are, what, do you, what do you think these CIOs or the chief digital officers, you even have titles that are chief transformation officer now, what do you think they should be doing to take this opportunity now that the political will is there to make this happen? How should they start making this plan for change? Which area should they be focusing in? Well, you know, I'll put my finance cap on. You always need to follow the money. Mm -hmm. So you have large, large pool of money that in financial institutions are allocated to areas that are absolutely not bringing any competitive advantage. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to take compliance, I'm going to take risk, I'm going to take processing, whatever you want. All of that, you have to do it. But it's not making TD better than BMO or the other way around. Right. So why is it even in your four walls? Mm -hmm. Why isn't it something where you spin it off, you start a new business, or you do another, uh, a SIM core with other other banks? Mm -hmm. You remove all these costs from your balance sheet. You provide some of these products and services to smaller organizations that cannot do it at a cost that makes sense. And suddenly the transformation you need to do in your four walls is way easier because you don't have all this legacy crap that is crowding out your brain, your budget. Right. And and it, it's, 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 you're not having your tunnel vision to get to success because you have all these other distractions that are not your core business now. Exactly, exactly. So I remember uh, maybe a year, a year and a half ago, you know, that I, I look at a lot at compliance and again, something not sexy that I am very passionate about. Right. And, and I was speaking with someone at one of the big five and he was like, well, I don't understand why we don't uh, outsource AML KYC, the, the entire process. All of that is done in-house. We have, you know, literally floors of people doing manual and AML remediation, you know, yeah. which doesn't bring much value. And, you know, I was very surprised that someone at a big five before the pandemic was mentioning that because before it was absolutely taboo. And I remember a conversation. And, and why that, do you, well, sorry, why do you think it's taboo? I mean, why do they think it's taboo? They th is it because it's like, oh, I'm losing political gain and people think, hey, I have large teams that's 
power or if it gets done out, you know, with, if it's not done under my supervision, it's, it's so going to be done wrong. My perspective is like, first is regulatory. People mm -hmm. are very afraid because they're like, okay, well, if you, you never delegate your, your, um, your supervisory authority, you know, it's not because you're putting it elsewhere. Uh, so that creates a lot of fear, um, but also a lot of fear that the regulators will not let them do that. Right. But the interesting thing was last year, John and I, we went to speak to some regulators because we were like, well, would you be okay with that? We're like, yes, because that would give us at least a common, uh, a common bar, a common process. Mm -hmm. Smaller organization can be part of that. So, so I think there is also this idea from bankers that, oh, oh my God, I cannot raise that to the regulators, you know? Mm -hmm. So there is that aspect. And then obviously the political aspect, uh, who, who, who wants to have uh, 2,000 less people on their team or in the auction, <laughs> no one. <laughs> so that, that is a problem regardless of what you're looking at, you know? Like, I, you, you I, I, for one, do not like direct reports. <laughs> I don't want it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, no, really cool. So, okay. So we, so that is one, that is one thing that I think absolutely, I mean, the, the regulatory KYC um, or even any other ancillary part of your business, it, it, but you know, you're, you, you got a controversial view there. I think very different from any others where you say, Hey, cut it out and, and spin yeah. it out and then, and have somebody else be the expert on that. Well, I, you know, some of that banks have been doing with outsourcing, you know. The challenge you see is that, and you know that better than I do, they like to develop every solution internally. Right. Which create these massive projects that always end up like red project, overrun, <laughs> over cost, discop, a freaking nightmare, you know. Yeah. And, but still, they're not learning. They're still doing it every time. Every time right. they say we will do it, and every time they cannot, they have to do it. Right. <laughs> but but it's, it's, such, it's such a trap because it's not just the money, the resources you need to develop these solutions. Let's say a robo advisor. Let's say. So that Goldman delayed their robo-advisor, they mentioned that today, their own develop because obviously they needed to do it themselves because they do it so much better than anyone else. So, <laughs> not all, which is delayed, probably right. or not working and, you know, anyway. So, so let's say you develop your own internal robo-advisor versus going with a white label of a wealth simple that's working very well. You want to develop it internally because whatever political reason, or you sincerely believe it's going to be special. They all believe they're special. So not only you need to find the resources for two years to bankroll that project, but they seem to forget that you're going to have to enhance that freaking thing for the next 10 years. Yeah, of so course. That's going to suck up even more of your resources. Resources and time, money, yeah. So they keep developing new stuff, which sucks resources, and it's a mortgage on the future because it, it, it sucks even more resources. While, how can you ever be competitive that with a business that's doing that for a living as a main yeah. business model, being a robot advisor? That's something that for me is probably the, the worst thing and the first thing banks, if they want to change, need to change. That's that. That's 
Yeah, and you know, Goldman's a good example too, because when Goldman came out and helped Apple with the Apple card, um, they ran some algorithms and some machine learning or AI as they called it, but it was messing up credit. It was like, hey, my wife who makes twice as much as me gets half the credit and here I am who gets two X over her. And it was becoming biased in its own thing. And I'm like, of course those mistakes are gonna happen um, because that's not their core business. Goldman is not in that business. Exactly. For them to spin it up and say, hey, Apple, we're gonna be the experts for you. It, it was just a disaster waiting to happen. But um, it seems quite obvious that they yeah. all do that. And because sincerely, sincerely, they believe that what they're going to develop is going to be better, so much different, so much more. It's going to give them an edge. Right. And for someone who worked in innovation at a bank, I should not say that, but the client doesn't get up in the morning comparing what is the new little uh, technology capabilities that was released at its bank. It just wants that fucking thing to work, you know? Yeah, yeah. Is my online banking working? Yes. Okay. Can I do it uh, on my app? Yes. Okay. They're not looking if, uh, oh, TD has this little thing that BMO doesn't. Hmm, let me change bank for the 25th time this year. Every time someone develops a new functionality. You know, no, nobody's going to go do that, right? Nobody's going to go do that. But I mean, banks get the simplest stuff wrong. Um, you know, our business account, I could not log into for so long because I had to have a Windows laptop with like, this is my business account and I can't as an entrepreneur I can't go see my own bank account because I'm running a Mac environment like are we in 2001 right okay I have a good story my yeah, yeah, mobile, yeah. Oh, mobile app for my bank yeah. doesn't work if I'm not on my own wi-fi how so, ridiculous is that well it's very secure I can just not access it so it's extremely secure <laughs> Nobody could get in, including you. <laughs> exactly. So there is no risk. I've been having the same thing where I've been trying to log in. This is just the past month. I've been trying to log in to my web for my personal account. And I won't mention the bank because they're going to get really embarrassed right now. And I'm using Chrome. And it keeps saying service interrupted. And it gives me the standard message. So I go in my Rolodex and I go, hey, you're the person in charge of this. What's going on? And they go, Oh, that's a problem with your Chrome. I go, that's not what the message is saying to me. The message is saying that your service is not up right now. And they're like, yeah, but that's a, that's a problem just with you. We have, five other, we, have, we have five other million logins that are working just fine. So this is your problem. I'm like, wait a second. It's not just my problem. This is, you're my bank. And if it's happening to me, it's probably happened to many others. Well, just not calling. And you, yeah, and you just can't log in. Yeah. Okay. Completely ridiculous. But. So... <laughs> So again, what's more important, developing your own robo-advisor capabilities? And I'm not saying that you shouldn't offer it to the client. I'm just saying take a white label, something that already exists. Making, an integration, yeah. making sure that your app and my app work. Yeah, absolutely. What do you think is more important for clients? Absolutely. Well, if you can't just get you even your login port, I mean, you're struggling with a login, I'm struggling with a login. This is a common problem. Hey, bank, when are you going to start being a bank and not be a technology company? Or if you're going to start operating as a technology company, then run that division as a product, digital product company. You can. 
you know, like similarly to what, what I was saying with CGI, you're never going to be able to hire the best tech people in a financial institutions because there is not enough opportunities for them to grow. You know, it's just, just the way it is. Peggy, I want to talk to you a little bit about your investing. Um, you and John, John, shout out to John McKinley. Um, you and John have been evaluating some deals. What are you guys looking for? You already talked about, hey, you want to bet on the horse, who's going to be the, the right entrepreneur. But what else are you guys looking at right now that yeah. builds your investment thesis? Yeah. Well, right now things are, you know, different from mm -hmm. what we would have discussed, I'm sure, three, uh, three or four months ago. But uh, you know, businesses, you have a lot of businesses like that in, in Canada that have not been scaled to the extent that they can. Mm -hmm. So, for example, great solutions that have been sold mainly in Canada to the large FIs, but have never really been brought to the US or to, the, to Europe, you know. Sure. Just because, you know, the founders were already happy with what they had. So this huge potential for growth is obviously something we're interested in. It's more of a growth equity type of thesis mm -hmm. on businesses that have been maybe flatlining mm -hmm. for a bit of time. Um, and we like very much the wealth management space and especially risk and compliance for the wealth management space. We think wealth management is an area uh, that is uh, being disrupted tremendously. So a lot, a lot of opportunities and compliance risk. These are areas where uh, a lot of money is spent, but not necessarily very thoughtfully. So a lot, a lot of opportunities there. Cool. And how should people get a hold of you? What should they do? They hit you up on LinkedIn. How do how do how do how do how do companies find you guys? Usually, it's on LinkedIn. <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah, LinkedIn is, is I'm sure for you is the same. It's a great, uh, great, great connecting tool actually. <laughs> well, I I wanna I wanna end off with you giving three takeaways. Let's give two takeaways to your diversity and inclusion cause. Let's give takeaways to the CIOs at the major financial institutions. And let's give a takeaway to those startups. So what would okay. be your one takeaway for each one of those? Well, I would say diversity, inclusion, we mentioned really making sure that when you hire, you have a representative slate. And to your point, you know, making sure you understand that not everyone starts from the same starting point. So mm -hmm. take that into consideration when assessing your perfect profile. Uh, to the CIOs or the CTOs of the financial institutions, well, don't hesitate really quitting control. So you don't have to develop everything in-house and you don't have to do everything in your four walls. So I would say minimizing is probably my key word for, for the CIOs. And the third one for the FITEC, I would say uh, really making sure they have a business model that can scale profitably. I know that seems obvious, but uh, very often, um, you, whether you don't see the scale, whether you don't see the profitability. So having the two together, that's, that's very, very important. Awesome. Peggy, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank uh, you so much. The hour, the hour flew by. I can't yeah. wait to see you on our Ritz patio again. Me too. <laughs> With some me too. Good wine. Uh, but thanks so much for coming on. This is a first name basis. The podcast is available on Apple, Google, Spotify, LinkedIn, Facebook, everywhere. Just... Bye. <laughs>
<laughs> go, go and watch it. But Peggy, thank you so much. It has been a very insightful conversation. Thank you so much, Peter. Thank you. Have a great day. Thank you. You too. Take care.